ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 my goddesses. Let's talk anxiety. Now, I don't want to bring you down. If anything, I want this episode to give you hope. Because even though I am one of the world's leaders in the science of women's happiness, with my master's degree in the science of human flourishing from an Ivy League university, blah, blah, I also have been very honest with you that I have had anxiety for as long as I can remember. My mom would say that I've had anxiety since I was three. And I would say, I don't know what a three-year-old has anxiety over. <laughs> Maybe like they won't let me watch Disney or Elmo. But I also have thought about my three-year-old self. And as the youngest, I'm sure I had a sense of family dynamics. I'm sure I had a sense of seeing what I had to do in order to be loved or what role I needed to play. I'm sure I had a sense of what might be happening between the relationship dynamics between my siblings or my siblings and my parents. I'm sure I caught on to the fact that my grandparents were Holocaust survivors and there is intergenerational trauma in our bones. I've had experts on this show that say that our ancestors' trauma sticks in our cells and in our bodies for seven to 11 generations. Plus, I believe that some of the anxiety is lifetimes old. Lifetimes of women being burned at the stake for being outspoken, for being magical, for being intuitive, for gathering in circle. And so my little self <laughs> carried a lot of anxiety into this lifetime. And what's amazing about living with anxiety while also being a happiness expert is that it gives me real opportunity on the daily to practice my tools. And if there's anything I've learned about living with anxiety, it's that there is no silver bullet. And that might make some of you want to just shut off this episode right now. Like, tell me the one thing I need to do. Right. But then again, you're probably saying, please don't tell me it's meditation. Please don't tell me that it's breathing. Please don't tell me <laughs> because we've heard all of that before and it's hard to do. But I'm not going to tell you that there's one silver bullet. And it's certainly not, you know, just vegging out to Netflix for an entire weekend, even though that can temporarily help, of course. <laughs> Rather, there are a variety of tools that I use to work with my anxiety, to live with my anxiety, to live with my anxiety so that I run it, it doesn't run me. And that's what I want this episode to be about. In this episode, I'm going to share a lot personally because I want you to know that if you have anxiety, you're not alone. I want you to know that if anxiety follows you around like it follows me around, that there's nothing wrong with you. 
And I want you to have hope. I want you to have hope that you can live a really extraordinary, and by really extraordinary, I mean travel the world, have incredible joy, have incredible love, incredible friendships, have deep meaning, purposeful work, have incredible success, have delicious sex, have delicious food that you actually taste rather than just stuffing it down because you're so anxious. I want you to know, and I want you to have hope and believe that you can have everything you desire. You can have extraordinary. You can even have inner peace as someone who has anxiety. And that's what we're going to dig into in this episode of the Purpose Girl podcast. So buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. But before I get into the tools and the stories and what you can do, I want to share something super special with you. Between August 21st and August 25th, 2022, I am taking a small group of women to, are you ready for this? Italy. Yes. Goddess Getaway Italy is full on. It is going to be five incredible days, four delicious, luscious, luxurious nights in our very own private luxury villa with private chef and with cooking class and a pool and exploring little towns and shopping. But even beyond all of that, that's so fun. It's going to be profound. It's going to be so transformational. If you love listening to the Purpose Girl podcast, can you imagine being with me for five days straight? I get right to the heart of who you are when we are in person. I will take you through the deepest, most profound, most transformative, most elevating, most powerful exercises for you to clear out anything that has ever gotten in your way and for you to rise up glorious as queen. We are going to dive into and embody all aspects of the divine feminine, your musy mermaid that is fun and joyful like a little girl, your wild woman that is passionate, your sensual goddess that feels through all of her senses. And what better place for that than the Tuscan countryside of Italy? We're going to own our wise woman, she who is badass and powerful and warrior for love, and we're going to do it all in sisterhood. It's going to be extraordinary. You want to go to karenrockhine.com forward slash Italy. It's going to be so extraordinary, and there are just a few spots left. And so if you've ever wanted to be with me in person, if you ever want the most powerful experience of your life, join us. And of course, let me know if you have any questions. I'm super here to help make it easy, easy, easy for you to say yes to yourself. Now let's talk about anxiety, yours, mine, the world's, and what we can do about it. Before I keep going, I want to share, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a clinician. I am not a doctor. I'm not giving medical advice here. Rather, I want to share with you my own story, my own experiences, and the tools that I use to help you. Because we're living in a world right now where, of course, we feel a lot of anxiety. We have just been through two years of pandemic, where at the beginning, so many people were getting sick, so many people were dying. 
We had no idea what COVID was. We had no idea how it would impact us, how it would impact our children, how it would impact our parents or anybody who we loved that's older in life. Like we had no idea. And so, of course, it made us anxious. And then we added on top of that isolation. We weren't allowed to see anyone or connect with anyone or hug anyone. And we absolutely know from the research that as humans, we are social creatures. We need connection. We need touch. We need loving hugs. It's actually in our DNA that when we receive loving touch, like on your cheeks, like right now, you could just take your hands. If you're not driving, you're not touching the steering wheel, you could just take your hands and touch your face. That calms the body. Or if you put your hands on your heart, it begins to calm the body. Because ideally, when you were a child and you were crying, someone would pick you up and pull you to their heart. So we know that our bodies are designed to feel calm when we are in connection with other people. In the last couple of years, we have not been able to have that. There has also been so much anxiety around women's rights. I know you may have your own politics, and I am very honest about mine. I believe in a woman's right to choose, to choose our reproductive futures, to choose Because I believe that if you don't like abortions, you could get rid of all of them by insisting that men wear condoms or pull out or do something else. So I believe that everybody gets to make a choice. And right now those rights are being threatened and that causes anxiety in my body. I have privilege in this white skin. And yet I still feel anxiety for my friends, for my sisters, when I see senseless racist attacks. I see people being killed for the color of their skin. And I see people go into schools and killing our children, black children, white children, doesn't matter. Going into synagogues, shooting. I mean, there's a lot to be anxious about. I don't want to make you depressed, but there's a lot to be anxious about. The question is, what do we do with it? First and foremost, I have support. Okay. I have a team of support that helps me with this. I have my therapist. And I actually have two coaches. I have a one-on-one coach and I have a group coach that I work with. And it is so important because they each give me different bits of information. So my therapist was really helpful in reminding me of my childhood and what are the patterns and what are the ways of my family that developed the anxiety. And that was so helpful in normalizing it for me and getting me to see where this is coming from. My coach, on the other hand, I talked to her about the anxiety and she's helping me find what is the thought pattern that's leading to that and what would help me to be able to move forward in my purpose and in my life. And so the combination of these women is like superpower team. I've got the best board of directors on the planet. And that's what I am to my clients as well. Like I constantly tell them, bring it to me, bring it to the sisterhood, bring it to our call, bring it to my private clients get to text me as much as they want. Bring it to me, bring it to me because I want them and I want you to have that board of directors that can support you. I can't do it alone. I just can't do it alone. And then of course, my coaches and my therapists give me additional tools. So some of the tools I'm about to give you are tools that I've developed on my own. Some are tools I've gotten from different therapists or coaches throughout time. Some are what I learned in graduate school for positive psychology, and some are intuitive in feminine wisdom. So as women, one of the best things about us is what we've often been criticized for. (laughs) Have you ever been told that you are too emotional 
or that you are too sensitive. We grew up in a world that told us that if we cry, there is something wrong with us, right? I had a client whose father would constantly tell her, I'll give you something to cry about. And then she's like, right, as if then she can't cry and all she needs to do is cry. And so where where does the feeling go? If she was scared, let's say, of the dark or she was sad about something that happened at school with one of her friends, where does all of that emotion go if she can't release it in her tears? Well, it gets stuck in her body. And then how does it show up? Of course, it begins to show up as anxiety, as feeling like there's something wrong with her, as being afraid that if she emotes, if she does what her body is naturally designed to do to release an emotion, which is to cry, then she's going to be hurt. And so we pile on even more anxiety, even more fear, because we think it's not okay to emote. Right? I cannot believe that we live in a world where we tell people that they can't cry in business. They can't cry in an office, but screaming somehow is okay. We see people be total jerks and screaming and that that is okay. That is not okay. It's just that crying is seen as weak. Well, crying is not weak. It's beautiful. It's a release of the emotion. The issue comes in when we don't release the emotion. Or have you ever been told you're too sensitive? Oh, this one gets me because my whole life, my brother would tell me I was too sensitive. You're too sensitive. You're too sensitive. Well, isn't my sensitivity what makes me such a great coach? <laughs> like, isn't my ability to feel what you feel and for my heart to bleed open when you all send me your stories about divorces you're going through or things that happen with your children and ways that you want to be in the world? Like, isn't my sensitivity the best thing about me? And frankly, isn't my emotional intelligence, the ability to feel it all, isn't that part of what makes me a great coach and a great speaker? I was speaking to 70 women leaders last week, and within an hour, we all cracked up laughing so hard, and we all cried. Because that range of emotion is beautiful in a woman, beautiful in any human. And it happens to be a divine feminine intelligence that we have emotion, a divine feminine intelligence that we are sensitive, but we've been told not to be these things. But when we're growing up and there are things that naturally cause fear, naturally cause worry, like, will the girls at school want me to sit with them at lunch today? Will I be picked for the soccer team? Will I get my period in the middle of swim class? Will that boy like me? Do I like boys? Do I like girls? Will I get into the college I want to get into? Will I get good grades? There is so much pressure on us when we're young, and it just continues into when we're adults, but no one's ever taught us what to do with all of that. Now, here's the thing about anxiety. Anxiety is fear on steroids, okay? Not literally, but anxiety is like an actual dread. We become so afraid, so worried. Perhaps it's before taking a test or one of the examples I just gave, or perhaps it's before you launch your purpose or before you go out and ask somebody out on a date. Like it goes beyond fear. It is dread, right? It's like 
we go beyond the fear of what will happen to the assumption that it's going to be terrible. Because fear is absolutely a part of human life. We all have fear built into us because we need to be able to make good decisions for our own safety. So if you get stuck at work tonight until 10 o'clock and then you're walking through a parking garage by yourself, I want you to have a little bit of fear, a little bit of stress, because that's going to cause your body to create the hormones that will help you to take quick action like run away or fight if there happens to be somebody who starts to attack you. So I kind of want you on that high alert fear stress. But that stress or that fear is only meant to be in the body for 90 seconds. Because our early ancestors, I'm talking thousands of years ago, when they would have a stress response, when they were afraid, let's say there was a tiger coming at them. Am I going to survive? Am I not? Either they ran away or they were eaten up and it was all over in 90 seconds. So our stress response, our fear response is only meant to be in our body for 90 seconds But what happens with anxiety is that the fear gets layered on the fear, gets layered on the fear, gets layered on the fear, and it stays and it lingers to the point where we aren't even aware anymore. What is this trigger? But it can become so much dread, so much certainty that things are going to go wrong, that it actually becomes chronic. And we're living in a world where we are faced, think about it, with a fear trigger after fear trigger after fear trigger. And I want to share all of that, not to scare you or make you depressed or go back to bed or just watch more Netflix, but to say it's not your fault. To say that, unfortunately, this is pretty normal right now. In fact, we know that the number one mental health issue in the United States is anxiety. And it's only increased with the pandemic. And so, I share all that just so you know, you're normal. The thing is, just because it's normal doesn't mean that it's healthy, right? We do a lot of things that are normal, but that doesn't mean that they're healthy. But the good news is, is that there are so many ways to work with it. In fact, one of the reasons I do retreats is that when I go away, my anxiety reduces. When I'm away from daily stressors about work or about meeting with the accountant or about social media or any of those things, I relax more. I also go on retreat because I'm in a group of women. And when I'm in a group of women, my anxiety dissipates, which makes so much sense because we were never meant to be alone. We are social creatures, as I said. And so to have a group of women that are loving on me, supporting on me, we're hugging, we're laughing, we're crying together, we're giving space to emote. I have space. It's like I go on other people's retreats and I hold retreats as much as I can because it's a way for me to reduce the anxiety and to calm my whole body. And we need a calm body and a calm mind in order to make the best decisions. We need a calm body and a calm mind in order to thrive, right? It's like, have you ever found yourself, you need to get some things done, but you're feeling anxious and like nothing's getting done. You're like scrolling through Facebook, you're scrolling through Instagram, or you're like stuffing your face with a box of cereal, literally me yesterday, okay? (laughs) And it's like, wait, what am I doing? 
Well, I knew what I was doing. I was stuffing down my anxiety, but it wasn't helping. It wasn't making a difference. So instead, I got to pause that moment and I got to shift and say, what's going to be more helpful? What's going to be a healthier way to work with this? So let me tell you what I was anxious about yesterday. So I'm planning this Italy retreat and we booked the most beautiful villa. Like I seriously, right out of a picture book, I, I mean, the hills and the valleys of olive trees and vineyards, the outdoor table set with all these little wine glasses and beautiful red fruit and this incredible pool. I mean, it was like divinity. And I was so excited. So we go ahead, we book it on Airbnb. And then the woman sends us a contract outside of Airbnb. She asks us for our email. And the contract says we have to send her $12,500 bank wire transfer. And there's no cancellation policy. There's no guarantee. And it can't be on a credit card. And here's why that matters. Airbnb has a protecting thing there in case something goes wrong with the listing, right? So we can get our money back. At least if we can use our credit card and there's an issue, then we go to our credit card company. Wiring her money in Italy was like, what? And we were like, okay, we get it. Airbnb takes a cut and the retreat is in three months. So no problem. Let's hop on a five minute Zoom just so we can meet you. And she said, no. Okay, so now anxiety is starting to kick in, right? More than just fear, more than just like a red flag, but actual anxiety because I have people already signed up to go, right? Because I put it out and people have already signed up to go. They already have flights. Like, oh my God. And then dread what's going to happen here. So excessive worry starts kicking in of all the things that could go wrong. And then what starts to happen is that a very old part of me that doesn't trust myself to make good decisions Maybe because I married my first husband and I beat myself up. Why did I marry him? That wasn't a good decision. Or the part of me that was in love when I was 17 and that person abused me. So I blame myself. I didn't make a good decision, right? So I have stored memories in the back of my brain that I can't trust myself to make good decisions. So then that part of my brain starts attacking me, starts telling me all the ways that I suck, you following me? Does your brain ever do this? Right? Are you nodding along like, yes, yes, yes. And now it goes from being something that is really a red flag, just a red flag. I hadn't sent them any money. I can totally get out of this and brings up a little bit of worry with people's flights. But really, all of that could be overcome with offering to pay change fees or even finding out, did they book flights? And then saying, screw that. I'm not going with that woman. There's a million gorgeous villas on Airbnb and VRBO. I'll find another one. Instead, what happened is I went from the 90 seconds of stress or fear into the all-out anxiety of dread that there is something wrong with me. So it's not even at that moment like I was anxious anymore about Italy. In that moment, it was dread that there was something wrong with me. Now, what is that dread all about? Now, I've done work on myself, so I understand this a lot more. I often will feel a lot of anxiety if I think that a decision or something that I'm doing or just me in general is going to be humiliating. So I have a lot of social anxiety and social anxiety means that I'm afraid of what other people are not only going to think, but that they will not like me, that I will be an absolute outcast 
if they find out certain things about me, right? So if you found out that I had this issue with the Italy retreat, then you would not respect me. You would not like me. You would not trust me. It would all go to hell. And then I'm going to lose my whole business. And then I catastrophize, right? And now it's like (laughs) my whole world has ended. My brain developed this mechanism of catastrophizing and for it to go to the worst in order to help me survive when I was younger. And the biggest thing that happens is that I begin to not trust myself. So I grew up in a family with a lot of opinionated people. I'm the youngest. And so my siblings were always giving me opinions about how I'm supposed to live, how I'm supposed to act, how I'm supposed to look, opinion, opinion. My father had a lot of opinions about how to practice Judaism, about what was good, what was bad. And I grew up not trusting my inner truth. Now, my inner truth, as my therapist puts it, is full on goddess. She says that she watches me when I am in my goddess state, when I'm in alignment and I just have a deep knowing about something where I'm like, oh yeah, I have to do that program. Oh yeah, we are going to Italy for a month because we are as a family, we're going to Italy for a month and I'm holding a retreat there and it's an absolute knowing. Or I see that one property and I'm like, yes, that's it. Or my therapist has seen me have the absolute knowing that I was going to hold the Women's Day event and I was going to hold the world's largest gathering of women on International Day. The absolute knowing that I'm going to create a new holiday called Women's Happiness Day and make that into a phenomenon. Like I will have an absolute goddess knowing. And that goddess knowing is deep in my soul. It's deep in my body. What happens, though, is that my brain, my fear brain, that had so many other people try to give me opinions their whole life, kicks in and tries to make me doubt my absolute knowing, tries to tell me that my decisions are probably wrong and bad. I remember when I was a kid, we went for Chinese food every single Sunday night. It was just like a thing we did with my grandparents. It was, it's actually a very popular thing to do among American Jews. I don't know why, but it is. And we never ordered Coke with Chinese food. We were allowed to order Coke if we went out for like a hamburger. But at Chinese restaurants, we only drank water. I remember him once looking at someone at the next table who was having a Coke and going, who drinks Coke with Chinese food? Like, who does that? And I love my dad, but that's kind of how he would talk. So I learned who does that. In other words, only an idiot would have Coke with Chinese food. Now, fast forward, I'm 47 years old and I love having a Coke with Chinese food. But my young brain internalized what was good and what was bad, what was right and what was wrong, what would make me lovable, what would not make me lovable, and really made me doubt myself. It made me doubt my decisions so that even till today, things that I will absolutely know or feel in my whole body, I will start to doubt with my mind. And the anxiety really kicks in when I think I've made a mistake. And why is a mistake such a big deal? We all make mistakes. And really, is there a mistake? No matter what you do, if you learn from it, there is no mistake. But my role in my family was to be the perfect one, to get all A's, to write, you can see how all of this goes together, to where the absolute dread that if I make a mistake, I think that I'm unlovable, that there's something wrong with me and that the world is going to crash down. Or that that if I listen to my inner truth, then something's going to come smite me down because it's wrong. And so this anxiety that we carry, right? You might have full-on anxiety from an early traumatic event. 
You might have anxiety because of the parenting style, or you might have been isolated when you were young because people worked or because you didn't have siblings or because you did, but they left you out. We can have anxiety because of our brain structure. We can have anxiety because of social expectations. We can have anxiety because it runs in our family and genetics. I mean, there are so many reasons. But the good news is, is that you don't have to full on suffer all the time. The number one thing to do If any of this resonates and you're someone who walks around with anxiety as like a little buddy all the time, is just that, to see anxiety as a little buddy, not as a big hairy monster that runs your life. And believe me, there are so many days when it seems like it's a big hairy monster that runs my life. But just saying to you now, it's a little buddy, my whole body calmed down. And now I can see, oh, there's my little buddy anxiety. Do you see the difference? It's really coming down to acceptance. Rather than fight and be like, I shouldn't have anxiety. Something's wrong with me that I have anxiety. I shouldn't, shouldn't be this bad. I had a full-on panic attack in front of my therapist yesterday. Thank God that was the best place to have it, right? Over this Italy thing. Oh, and by the way, the ending to that story is we found an even better villa, even better where the people who own it are like so friendly and making all these arrangements for us and a cooking class and a pizza oven and still has the pool and still has all the luxury and has three different areas for us to sit in outside. I mean, it's so gorgeous. This indoor fireplace and all these white couches and it's just so goddessy. Of course, we found something even better. But I had a full-on panic attack with my therapist. And the first step is rather than beating myself up and saying, I shouldn't have anxiety. I'm an expert in happiness. What will people think if they find out? Instead, acceptance. Yes, this is part of my brain makeup. This is the little body I've had my whole life. And so I'm just going to accept that there's this part of me that kicks in and it's a much younger part. It's little Karen. She's three or she's five or she's 10. And I can love three-year-old Karen. I was so damn cute. I bet you were too. I can love her. I can love 10-year-old Karen. She had these long braids that she would wear, these long barrettes with ribbons coming down them. I can love on little me who developed this coping mechanism. And that's what anxiety really is. It kicks in as a mechanism to cope with the situation at hand. And so what does anxiety do? Anxiety makes us freeze, right? The fight, flight, freeze response. Anxiety, at least for me, makes me freeze. And why is that important? Because if I freeze, that part of me is protecting me from making a bad decision. If I make no decision and I just stay frozen, then I don't have to face the humiliation of social anxiety, thinking I'm a loser, and I don't have to face the fear that my family won't love me anymore because I have made a quote-unquote bad decision. So the fight, flight, freeze, and then there's another fourth one called fawn, but there's the freeze response often kicks in with anxiety. Fawn can also kick in with anxiety, which is you become a people pleaser. What does everybody else want? What would make everybody else happy? Our anxiety then is like, well, let me help you out and make a better decision for you. I'll find out what everybody else wants. I'll just go with what they want. And that will keep you safe. It's all safety. So the number one thing I do with anxiety is come to a place of acceptance. This is a mechanism that I developed. This is a teeny tiny little part of me. It's not all of me. It's not even the quote unquote real me, but it is a tender part of me that I developed in order to keep me safe. And when I think of it like that, I can love on this part of me. And that is our next tool in what we do. 
So I absolutely have found that daily meditation, daily breathing, daily writing down gratitudes, daily grounding in, grounding is so important. Right? Because anxiety gets us into our head and like, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? All the what ifs and all the like and all the nervousness. And then that kicks in doing a ton of different activities and behaviors and patterns that can be so wrong, right? I have found that when I take time every day in a non-anxious state, or even if I am anxious in the morning, to do deep breaths, just a couple of minutes to meditate. And I know you might be saying there going, meditation is so hard. Yep, that's why we do it. You don't meditate so that you sit there with a blank. (laughs) I practice it in terms of just being able to bring my mind back, noticing it wanders and bring it back. And sometimes it works better than others. But I also find I have to move my body. Now, this is key. A lot of people will try meditation and be like, it didn't work for me. Well, especially as women, I find it can't stand alone. Our bodies are designed to move just like our bodies are designed to emote and to be sensitive. Our bodies are designed to move. So I'll do my couple minutes of meditation when I'm not anxious. But when I am anxious, a better thing for me to do is actually just to start shaking my body, right? (laughs) Like people can say, calm down, take some breaths. I'll try. And sometimes it'll work. But sometimes I'll just start shaking, right? Like I'm doing it right now. I take my fingers and I start shaking them. I take my arms and I start shaking them. I shake my legs. I move my hips. I move my shoulders. I'm literally doing it right now. Then I'll move my head almost like I'm, you know, dancing to Metallica or something. I might even turn on music where I do Metallica, you know, and I really let it out. I teach my clients something called a two-minute temper tantrum. Think about what children do. My two-year-old has a temper tantrum when he doesn't get his way. Well, he moves it out of his body. He arches his back. He fist fights. He's getting angry. And then what do we do when we get older? Well, we learn that's not okay. We can't do that at work. Well, why not? Why not go into a bathroom stall, shake out your legs, shake out your arms, punch the air, get it out of your body? Because remember, it's only meant to be in your body for 90 seconds, fight or flight. Your body is designed to move when you have those feelings. So we have to move it out. So as you think through, how can you manage your anxiety? What I want you to think about is how can you live with anxiety? And by live, I mean really live. Something I'm super proud of is that I don't just survive in this world. Like I live and that is ultimately what I want for you. It's what I want for every single woman, every single human on this planet. I want us living fully alive. And what does that mean? It looks different for you than for me. But, you know, we're planning a summer of all travel. We're going to Denver and then we're going to Michigan to be with my family. Then we're going to California for me to go on retreat. And then we're going to do a few days in the wine country. We come back. We go for a week at the shore. We have Shay's second birthday. Then we come back. We're going to Italy for the month. I'm hosting my retreat, right? So like living. And I want you to figure out what living is for you, not just survival, but thrival. And how can you live that even with anxiety, whether it's anxiety from situations currently in your life or from the news and kind of the environment that we live in, or it's something that is in your DNA. What I want is for you to figure out how to live with it. And so as I feel into how do I live with it and continue living, moving forward. Because for me, anxiety is debilitating. It gives me that total freeze, that paralysis. For you, it might put you into hyperactive mode. It might give you a ton of different things. 
Now, one of the ways that people live with anxiety, of course, is medication. And I am not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. So I'm not suggesting prescribing any of that. Right. But I know that at different points in my life, I've been on anxiety meds and it helps to even me out. So talking to your psychiatrist, of course, is one option. And in addition to that, I use a number of tools every day and I want to make sure I go through those tools. Right. The first of which is acceptance. Almost like love. What if you became friends with your anxiety? One of my dear friends actually suggested that it's one of the best things about me because part of my anxiety comes from loving other people, pleasing other people, right? And so she's like, your anxiety has helped you your whole life. Can you actually honor her, honor the anxiety and have some fun with it? So she sent me sparkly earrings that say anxiety. They're massive. They're like four inches long and they're like fake diamonds, whatever that's called, cubic zirconia. They're hilarious, right? I think it's actually the picture that goes with this episode of the podcast. Check them out. It's a way to move me from being embarrassed that I'm someone who has anxiety to move into not even just tolerance, but acceptance and even celebration of This part of me that, again, I developed when I was young or I developed because my soul has had prior lifetimes of being burned at the stake, which, by the way, I've had two past life remembrances where one of them, I was absolutely stoned to death for being a witch. I can see it. I have cried through it. I have had my current self go be with that self while I was dying and another of which I was the medicine woman in the village and I was ostracized for being too witchy. And so these are experiences that live in my soul and live in my body. And maybe I'll have to do a whole episode on past life because it's absolutely fascinating. But whatever the reason for having the anxiety is, again, it's how do we live with it? And so one way is for me to wear these earrings, right? (laughs) Because it's a way of me celebrating that it's okay. And that maybe even some of that anxiety is what makes me wonderful, right? Can we flip the story about it? That having anxiety makes me be able to relate to you and to my clients better. That having that anxiety makes me be able to really care about details more. I mean, can we flip the script and come to how that anxiety is trying to help us and then kind of make it the shining star? Now, if that seems like too much of a stretch, because sometimes it does in my own head as well, here are more tools that I use. I've already talked about deep breathing and meditation. Now, for me, That works best when I'm not in an anxious state because when I'm in an anxious state, I don't remember to take a deep breath or it seems like the hardest thing. And it can be super helpful if you have someone who is willing to sit with you and hold your hands and help you to take those breaths. On my own, I never remember. Let's just be honest. So what I try to do every morning when I'm not in anxiety is to practice that deep breathing, do a few deep breaths, do meditation so that when I'm in the anxious state, it comes more easily and comes more naturally. And then when I'm in the anxious state, one of my best tools is to shake. Now, I was talking about that a few minutes ago, and I'm doing it again right now, just to remind you that that is so helpful. And in my Goddess on Purpose class, I just introduced them to the two-minute temper tantrum, and women were like, holy cow, where has this been my whole life, right? I have women in the class who have studied their master's degree and studied their certificate in positive psychology like me, and they're like, why are we not being taught this, right? Because... (laughs) No one has taught us what to do with these difficult emotions. But when your body goes into the fight-flight response, your body actually needs to move. And so just shaking your fingertips, shaking your shoulder, shaking it all out, turning on a dance song, 
Now, the truth is when I'm in the anxious state, all my body wants to do is freeze, right? So it doesn't want to move. It doesn't, but I have to make these things so conscious that I have a list of my anxiety go-tos. And I want you to have a list of your anxiety go-tos. There might be some of the tools that I'm mentioning, or you might have other tools, but moving your body, going for a run. So if I'm in an anxious state, Josh will nine and a half times out of 10 say, can you go for a run? Now, if I'm in the middle of work or something and I can't run, then I can do this other like just shaking my body. And you can do it too at work. You can go into the bathroom stall, shake it out a little bit, go into your car. I tell my clients, go into your car, scream it out, right? Take your car into a parking lot or into an abandoned parking lot or a restaurant parking lot where it's not at work and just kind of scream it out or hit the steering wheel. It feels so much better. But if I can, then I go for a run. It helps me every single time. Why? Because the body's designed for fight flight and my body wants to move even if my brain is keeping us paralyzed. Sometimes Josh will have to remind me for more than a half hour, go for a run, go for a run, go for a run. But I will be so paralyzed that I will sit there, right? So I just want to normalize this for you. If you're like, but I don't feel like running or somebody suggests for me to go take a walk and I can't or whatever, I want to normalize for you. Hey, me too. And Enroll someone in your life who can be that for you. If it's a friend, if it is someone you live with, if it's a colleague, whoever it is who can remind you of your tools and keep on you and hold you accountable to using your tools until you use them. Because once I go for that run, I feel a million times better. The next tool I use is journaling. So I journal most mornings. I'd love to say every morning, but there are certainly days I fall off the wagon where I journal what I'm proud of, either in the form of saying, I'm proud of this, I'm proud of that, I'm proud of this, or I brag this, I brag that, or I celebrate this about myself. And then I also journal gratitudes, right? What am I really grateful for? Whether it is my son's laugh or my husband's kiss or dancing and my legs that help me dance or good food that I've just eaten, whatever it is. And then I'll also get into what I'm excited about or what I desire. I call that your morning juice or your morning jumpstart. But if I'm feeling super anxious, that stuff doesn't come easily for me. So I will either force myself to turn on those good things because your brain can't do gratitude and misery at the same time. It's almost impossible for your brain, the way that our brain holds information. So if I'm forcing myself to come up with things that I'm grateful for, or I'm forcing myself to find the things, think of the things that I'm proud of, it makes a shift in my brain. It makes a shift in my energy. If that is too hard, I will go ahead and I'll write out all the things I'm anxious about. Like it's there anyway, so just get it out. In fact, just saying that to you feels better. I have a friend who's teenager, I think she's 13, maybe she's 12, but somewhere in there has a lot of anxiety. And so her daughter's therapist told her to keep, I think she called it an anxiety journal or something like that, where it's a whole journal next to her bed where she just writes out what she's afraid of. And she actually never comes to resolution on it, but just the act of writing it out feels better. Now, the reason for that is that when we just think about the thing and think about the thing and think about the thing, then it goes around and around in our head and doesn't go anywhere. And that is why then anxiety becomes dread and debilitating because it seems hopeless. But once you get it out of your head and onto paper, It's gone somewhere. It's almost like, okay, there's something else that's holding that right now and making space in my brain and my body to calm down. And it's when we're calmed down that we actually can start coming up with solutions of what we need to do or how we can fix a situation 
or we can correct the thoughts to have more accurate thinking. So her daughter writes down, it could be a fear of kids at school or that she won't get picked for the basketball team or whatever it might be. And once she writes it down, she feels better and she can just go to sleep. The next step though, is once you write it down, is to start questioning those fears. Reframe them. And my favorite reframe question is what else is true? So your brain is saying, you're not going to make the basketball team. It's not going to make the basketball team. No one likes it. I'm not going to make the basketball team. Okay, you get it out on the paper. And then you might say, and what else is true? Well, what else is true is I'm a really good shooter. What else is true is that Joanna asked me out for lunch yesterday. So people do like me. What else is true is if I don't make the basketball team, I can try out for soccer or I can start the knitting club at school. Like I'm making this up. I have no idea if her daughter even wants to be on basketball. I'm just making it up, right? The process of calming down the anxiety opens up space for us to cognitively be able to think about other reframes or other truths. And when we start acknowledging that there are other truths, like her daughter doing the knitting club instead of basketball, then her body can calm down with it because she knows that there are other options. So journaling is huge for me. And sometimes I'll just write, start writing out my anxiety and I'll look at it and then I'll even like be sick of myself. Do you ever get sick of yourself in your own worry or your own anxiety? Well, I will get so sick of looking at this thing that I'll be like, "Ugh, okay, I'm done with that. Next. And then I start doing my brags and my gratitudes and my desires and what I'm excited about. So I'm not going to sit here and say that there's one thing or one way. Rather, it's the ability to be able to practice, the ability to be able to try on different tools. Now, I know I might be giving you so much that you're like, oh, it's too much. But I want you to see that I have a whole toolbox that I go into and use in different ways at different times. And it's why I love teaching my classes so much, because I want you to have all the tools. A massive tool for me that I mentioned before, but just to go into a little bit more now, is sisterhood. So I have my go-to, my BFF, Stacy, who interviewed me for episode 200 of the podcast. If you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it. I got more feedback on that episode, I think, than any other one. And I'll just message her and be like, I need some help or I'm having an anxiety moment. Can I release some stuff? Can I dump some stuff? And then I just have a place to put it. And inevitably, I have a soft landing in her or in other friends. And my brain doesn't want me to share the anxiety. Like I'll probably have what Brene Brown calls a vulnerability hangover tomorrow that I shared all of this on this episode. But I ultimately know that it's better to share it and to get support in it and better to share it for me for purpose. It's a big way I turn pain into purpose. It's a big way that I end up feeling better about any of the pain in my life. That if I share with you this anxiety and it makes you feel validated and normal and like you can live, then that gives purpose to the pain. And that's a huge tool for me, right? So two tools I've just gone into. One is sisterhood. And it's why I brag, I create the best sisterhoods on the planet. It's why I want you to come on my Italy retreat or coming soon, we're going to be announcing Miami. <laughs> Listen for that in a couple of podcast episodes or make sure you're on my newsletter list because they get kind of first dibs at everything and you go to purposegirl.com to join that newsletter list. But the sisterhood is huge. And what we do on these retreats is hold each other. 
there is space for a woman to share what is going on in her life or what she's afraid of in the safest way where she is then like held and loved. And we find, are there any old patterns, any old stories? And we extricate them out and then we rise up together. And these are the tools I use every day. And so I love holding these retreats. I love holding the sisterhoods to be able to pass them on to you and give you the same. I'm not saying here we're going to cure this anxiety forever. What I am saying is we're going to make it so that it doesn't hold you back. So sisterhood, being in circle, being held, being uplifted, being cheer-led, being seen. Another tool, self-touch. And what I mean by self-touch might be masturbation, might be gentle, loving touch. So one of the tools I developed really young as a little girl was masturbation. I found that if I rubbed myself and I actually brought myself to climax, I had some relief from the anxiety. And so I did a lot of self-pleasure. I didn't know it was called self-pleasure. I didn't even know it was called masturbation. When I was a little girl, I'm talking about five, six, seven, eight. And there's a whole episode on that if you go way back. And I've recognized more recently, the more I've studied psychology, the more I've worked with my own therapist, that that was a great way for me to release anxiety, release tension. And so it's something that I've picked back up again as an anxiety relief. It simply helps because your body will have all of the tension building up before you climax, before you orgasm. And then the orgasm goes, ah, and your whole body releases. And it is a beautiful way of working with anxiety. Again, I know you can't do this in the middle of a meeting with your boss or your teammates, but it's something that you might do in the morning or it might be something at night that again, helps you to stay regulated. That's what we're going for. Or if you're home and you're having an anxiety attack or you're feeling anxiety come on, you might find that it's helpful to just go into the bathroom and have a couple moments of touching yourself. Yes, I said that. The other way that touch comes in is gentle, loving touch on your skin. And I learned this from Krista Neff, who's the world's leading researcher in self-compassion, where I did a five-day intensive with her. And she said to explore and find different places on our body where gentle, soft, loving touch, like that of a mom or a grandmother, feel really soothing. So one way to practice, I'm doing it right now, is to take your fingertips of your right hand and gently just stroke and love the fingertips and the back of your left hand. And just notice, how does that feel for you? Is that calming? The same thing I do with my face. My grandmother used to gently touch my face. And so I have found that gently placing my fingertips on my cheeks feels so good. It's like, ah, the same with my heart. When I put my hands on my heart, it begins to soothe my body. I find I need to do the same with my legs. I actually find if I'm anxious, my hands will kind of start like rubbing my legs really strong. And that is a physiological response to anxiety. It's like I'm trying to ground in or I'm trying to move some of the feeling through my body. And so I find sometimes that some gentle touch can help. So again, these are all different ways. I know I need the movement like a run or a shake. And then I open up space where I can start to journal or think through differently. And then I can open up space for self-compassion and touching my fingertips or touching my cheek, or I can lean into a sister or ask Josh. I'm so blessed that I have this in a partner. When I was having the anxiety attack yesterday, I actually asked Josh to come in and he held me. 
And I said to him recently, when I'm going through a difficult emotion, can you pull me onto the couch and put a blanket over me and just wrap me up like a sushi roll? I got that suggestion from Melanie and Lair, and it feels so good. And so depending on if you live with someone, you don't live with someone, it might be more possible or not. Another tool for you might be water. When I go into water like a bath, I feel more relaxed. And you can start playing with these different tools and see what really works for you. What feels good for you? What do you need? And it might be a different tool on a different day and there might be no rhyme or reason for it. I need to put them all together. So as you feel into what you need, first and foremost, sister, get support. Whether it's a therapist, whether it is joining a support group, whether it is paying for a coach, whether it is joining a group like mine, a sisterhood, you can join my free sisterhood Purpose Girls Facebook group. It's totally free and women do post in there anxiety that they're feeling or challenges that they're having or desires that they have or purpose or things like that. They post all of it. So you have a safe and free place to go. Or you can find a local group like an Alan group or some sort of support group or join one of my courses, one of my sisterhoods, one of my retreats. The women on my retreats, they stay friends for years and years. Recently, women who were together on a retreat in 2015 were all just texting with each other a check-in. 2015, that was seven years ago. So join something like that with me or with someone else so that you have that connection Women who come on all my retreats and in my coaching programs tell me is that they are closer with these women who they spend this short amount of time with than they are with their friends that they've been with for 30 years. Because in a space like a retreat or a space like a sisterhood container or a course, they can be more themselves. They can be authentic. They can share it all in a way that they don't feel like they can or that they'll be judged with the soccer moms or whoever it is even with their closest friends for years. It's a different kind of connection. Get yourself a therapist, a coach, whatever it might be. And then start practicing some of these tools. What would movement look like for you when you need to move out the anxiety? What would gentle, loving self-touch on your cheeks, on your hands look like for you? Who are your go-to sisters that you could have kind of on bat speedy dial to be able to reach out to? Seeing if you can pick up a mindfulness practice, listening to Insight Timer or Calm. Those are apps on your phone. You can get meditations for free. Dance is a huge one. I dance so much because it feels so good and it helps me move my body and it helps me get out of my own crap and it feels good and it lights me up and it turns me on. It does like all the things at once. Whatever you do, don't do it alone and know that you are not alone. I'm right there with you and I love you as is anxiety and all. So a few things in closing. One, check out the show notes, karenrockhine.com forward slash Italy to check out the Italy retreat. It's going to be so delicious. The villa is exquisite, gorgeous. All of the vineyards, the olive trees. We're going to go into Montepulciano, which is such a beautiful little winemaking town. Like, And it's going to be deep and powerful and transformative. And we're howling at the moon and we're dancing and we're releasing all the crap that makes us anxious. It's going to be so good. I mean, can you imagine a group of sisters all ah, howling and letting it out and then rising up? And if that feels too intense or too scary, but you're like, oh my God, I know I need that. I love it, but it's too intense. It's too scary. Know that you're in safe hands with me. This is the most beautiful work on the planet and message me. I'm happy to talk it through with you. And of course, make sure you're on my newsletter list because those are the people who get first dibs at all my retreats and everything. And of course, share this episode with every 
woman you know, with your daughters who feel and experience anxiety, with your sisters, with your friends, make this a book club because this is the meat of how we're going to change the world one woman at a time. With that, my love, may you live purposefully. May you love yourself and may you love life. Bye for now.